But we've been uh, taking a deep dive into uh, John's first epistle. We've been going through the, uh, the book of 1 John these last number of weeks. And this morning, we're going to zoom in on um, a very powerful truth, and yet perhaps a, sim- a very simple truth, but a very powerful truth that we see woven all throughout the Scriptures. Uh, it's a truth that reminds us that, that what is in our hearts will often be seen in our actions. As Jesus taught, out of the abundance of the hearts, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we see this truth woven throughout the scriptures. And as we've been, we've been walking through John's first epistle, uh, we're going to see, uh, picking up where we left off in uh, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 11. We're going to see how John raises our awareness to what's in our heart eventually will manifest itself in our actions. The title of my message this morning is Actions Speak Louder Than Words. Actions speak louder than words. And, and John will point us to the story of Cain and Abel, the first recorded children of, of Adam and Eve. And we'll see that this truth of one's actions being a heart revealer, right? This idea goes all the way back to the beginning, to the first family that we see in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to pick up at verse 11, 1 John 3, verse 11. John writes, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I just want to stop there for a moment. John sets the context up that this message that they've heard has been in existence from the beginning, not since the beginning of 1 John's epistle or even from the beginning of the New Testament. But this idea, this message goes all the way back to the beginning of time as we know it. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. It traces all the way back to the beginning of time. I love it. It's woven all throughout the scriptures. You know, one of the most amazing proofs of the, of the reliability of the scriptures is its remarkable unity, its, its miraculous unity. That over the course of 1,500 years, 40 different authors have written 66 distinct gr- uh, books making up the Old and New Testament. These authors coming from different geographical, economical, and racial backgrounds, all coming and presenting a unified message of truth that is woven so beautifully. The unity that we see from Genesis to Revelation is nothing less than miraculous. The miraculous preservation of the Word of God that we see. And so we see that what John is talking about is say, hey, listen, this is no new message. This is the same message that goes all the way back to the beginning. How does that happen? Well, because the scripture is inspired by God. And John's text, inspired by the Holy Spirit, puts forth the truth that was taught to us from the beginning that we ought to love one another. Love one another. Now, as we continue in our text, John will present us with examples of what does that look like to love one another and what it doesn't look like when we love one another. And we'll see that the action of love and the action of hate 
does not pour forth from our minds, but it pours forth from one's heart. Let's take a look at verse 12. Actions speak louder than words, right? Look at what John says here. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's interesting. He just says, here's the message you've heard from the beginning. You are to love one another. Don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. John holds up an interesting example of someone that we are not to be like. My first point this morning is this. Don't follow Cain's example. Don't follow Cain's example. You say, why not? Well, let's take a look at that. We're introduced to these brothers, Cain and Abel, all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. They are the the first recorded children of Adam and Eve. And so if you want to journey back there with me, Genesis chapter 4, we are introduced to uh, Cain and Abel. Verse 1 of chapter 4 in Genesis account says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, God had no Regard. God rejected the offering that was given by Cain. Let's just stop there for a moment. What did, you, what did Cain do wrong here? Why was Abel's offering acceptable to God, and why was Cain's offering rejected, unacceptable to God? It has everything to do not with the content of what they offered, but with the condition of their hearts, because their actions revealed their hearts. It's made very clear here that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock as his offering, which is typically the best and the most valuable. You say, how do you know that? Because you don't necessarily know if you're going to have a secondborn, right? When you present the firstborn or the only, you're trusting God that there's going to be another one, right? At that point, you're taking everything you have and you're giving it to God. But more importantly, Abel's giving God his best was an action that revealed in Abel a heart of love for God. In other words, Abel loved God more than the very thing he was giving to God. And that was revealed in his actions. Abel's actions revealed something very right about Abel's heart. He was, as John said, he was righteous. Not so with Cain. Cain, on the other hand, didn't give of the first fruits. He just gave of the fruit of the ground. Again, it's not what he gave, but rather how that action revealed something very wrong about his heart. Now, on the surface, we look at that and we say, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, as we look a little deeper into this text, we're going to see just what is revealed. He didn't give the best. 
He didn't give the most valuable. He didn't give in a way that revealed his love for God in his heart, but instead he gave in a way that revealed some, some selfishness, love for himself in his heart. Cain wanted to keep for himself was what was not for his to keep. Why? Because the first fruits belong to the Lord. And as a result, we see the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, the scripture says that God had no regard. But it doesn't stop there. Because what we see in Cain's offering reveals a very dark spot, a deep revelation, a dark revelation of something that was going on in the heart of Cain. What we really see in Cain's offering is just the tip of the iceberg. They say only reveals, the tip of the iceberg only reveals 10% of really what's underneath the surface, that, that which is not so visible. And so we see this offering, but we'll see now as we go forward that this dark side of Cain's heart is revealed. Look at verse 5. It says, for Cain, his offering, for Cain's offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, would you not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Look how God describes Cain's response. His response was one of anger. Why are you so angry? You see, his offering gave a peek into really what was inside the heart of Cain. And God warns him. He says, hey, listen, son, there's anger in your heart. And it's sinful. And he's not angry that he, he's not angry that he sinned. Cain was just angry that he got caught, right? How many have been guilty of that, right? When you, your kid growing up, or how many times you correct your kids, right? You pull them on the carpet, and they're, they're not sorry for what they did. They say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're not sorry for what you did. You're sorry you got caught because, you know, we're going to have this conversation again later, right? Well, that's exactly what we see here in Cain. Cain isn't, Cain isn't angry over the fact of what he did. He's angry over the fact that he got caught, which reveals an even darker side of Cain. God presents a very rhetorical question. He says, look, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Of course you will, Cain. You know, in other words, you know better than that, Cain. You know what I'm looking for. You know the standards. If you do the right thing, you know you're going to be accepted. But notice, Cain, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and Cain, it is ready to pounce. You better deal with this anger, son, is what God is saying to him. You better deal with this pride. You better deal with this selfishness. You better deal with what's on the inside that caused you to bring about an, an offering that was rejected. Each of these sinful characteristics of anger and pride and selfishness are what led to the kind of offering that Cain gave. Again, it wasn't what Cain brought, it's how and why Cain brought the kind of offering that he did. That's why God rejected it. 
I mean, on the surface reading, you think, oh, come on, give me a break. He threw you some fruit. No, there's so much more that's going on in that passage. It was a disobedient offering. And notice he says, this sin is, is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. In other words, its desire is to take you out, to take control of you. If you don't control this area of your life, Cain, it'll eventually take control of you. You know what? That's a great principle that you and I really need to get a hold of in our own lives. You know, in Christ, the power of sin has been broken in our lives, right? What shall we say then, Paul writes? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Right, The power of sin has been broken in our life. Praise God for that. That means nobody can make me do anything, especially the devil. I don't have to sin. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that, hey, hey listen, he says, you haven't resisted unto bloodshed against fighting against sin, right? And what God is warning Cain here is, listen, you need to resist this. You need to push back. You need to rule over it. Don't give in, Cain. Deal with the anger in your heart because if you don't, it will develop into something and, and develop into something far worse. And can I just tell you, we're no different. If we don't deal with those things on the inside, they will manifest itself into something far worse over time. And, that, and Cain is a perfect example of that very thing. Does he heed the warning of God? Of course not. Take a look at verse eight. Instead of hearing what God had to say and heeding the, the warning from God, by the way, right? I mean, like, hello, right? This is like not like, you know, here's what we think you should do. This is God speaking. And instead of heeding the warning from God, it says in verse eight, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Like, wouldn't you want to just smack him upside? You talk to God like that? Could you imagine, like, yes, you brought your kids down. Hey, hey, where's your brother? What am I, like, my brother's keeper? Right? What does it show? It shows what's on the inside of Cain's heart. His defiance against God, the rebellion in his heart, his, this anger has gone full-blown, right? Hey, it, it, it was presented just as an offering, but this offering manifested and demonstrated that there's a far worse going on on the inside of his heart. And he says, I don't know, what, what am I, my brother's keeper? And listen to what God says. And the Lord said, what have you done? There's another time that God said that very question when he asked Adam and Eve, after they ate of the tree in the garden that they were not supposed to eat. He said, what, do you have, what have you done? It's not that God didn't know. God wanted them to know what they had done. You crossed the line. What have you done? And then God says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Wow. Interesting how this offering that was rejected 
revealed a much deeper sin in the heart of Cain. Does he listen to the warning of God? He does not. Just the opposite. Instead of going to his prayer closet in repentance, we see how this anger, this sin of anger that was crouching at the door, ready to take him out, evolved into full-blown jealousy and rage and murder. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus said, hey, you've heard that it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Why? Because that's exactly what happened with Cain. That anger that was in Cain's heart reflected in that offering full-blown into murder towards his brother. Cain murders Abel. It's almost like in this defiant posture and this rebellion attitude towards God, it's like Cain said, you know what? You want an offering? I'll give you an offering. And he slaughters his brother. There's your offering, God. It's the first human murder recorded in the Bible. And we didn't have to get many generations down the road, by the way, from paradise. This is the first recorded children of Adam and Eve. Why? Because that's what sin does. It manifests itself in hatred and anger and murder. What we see in this example of these two brothers is how their offerings, each of their actions revealed what was in their hearts because actions speak louder than words. For Abel, his offering, his action revealed a righteous heart, as John says. And for Cain, his offering, his action revealed an evil heart. Actions speak louder than words. Look at with me, look again, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And John, using the example of Cain and Abel, points out how what we do and how our actions speak louder than words. Again, remember, he's giving them an illustration. Just following this appeal to love one another, he's like, hey, listen, don't do what Cain did. Deal with whatever is in your heart that's going to keep you from loving your brother and your sister. Don't follow Cain's example. Let's continue. Verse 13. He says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now we see John reiterating what he mentioned earlier in the writing about loving one another. And as we saw last week, loving one another is consistent with our new nature. Right? When we have the love, the life of God in us, as we saw last week, that ought to manifest itself as love for one another. As we're growing in grace and being sanctified by the Spirit, what that ought to create in us is a genuine care and love for what God loves. And God loves the people of God. God loves lost people, right? What we, ought, we ought to take on the heart of God. Look what he says here. He says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's the metric that he puts in place. 
Here's how you'll know you crossed out of death into life. You love the brethren. Hey, the opposite is true, by the way. If you don't love the brethren, you didn't cross out of life or out of death into life. You're still in that same place. Again, we're looking to answer this question that John poses in this epistle that we, he says that we might know, right? These things are written that we might know that we have eternal life. And we see all throughout this, 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 uh, this epistle, John is holding up metrics so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, deep in our knower, that we have eternal life. John holds up an example and says, don't be like Cain. Love the brothers. Don't be like Cain. Don't kill your brothers. Like Cain and Abel did. Like Cain did. Instead, we are to love one another. So we've seen in Cain how his actions spoke louder than words, and now we're going to see another example. We're going to see the ultimate example of actions speaking louder than words. John will say, listen, don't be like Cain. Second point is that he'll say, but look at Jesus' example. This, don't be like Cain. Now let's look to Jesus. Take a look at verse 16 of 1 John. Interestingly, here's another great John 3.16 to memorize, by the way. Right? Everybody, everybody, most people have John 3.16 memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here's another great 1 John 3.16 says this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Isn't that a powerful verse? Here's the metric of love. Here's the definition of love. Here's the extent of love. Here's how we know God loves us. He laid down his life for us. I love that in John's gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16, we see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so in the gospel, we see the father gives the son to the world. Now in the epistle, we see the son gives himself back to the father on behalf of the world. Isn't that awesome how things go full circle? John holds up the highest metric of love. He gives a gruesome example in Cain, and he gives this beautiful example in Christ the laying down of one's life for another. It is in stark contrast to what we saw in Cain. Follow Jesus, uh, 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 look to Jesus' example. John points out that Christ's action was louder than words in that he laid down his life for us. Jesus says the same thing about himself in John chapter 15 and verse 13. He says, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends, his brothers. I like the progression that we see in these verses found in John, 1 John chapter three. We see, don't follow Cain's example. Now we see, look at Jesus's example. And the third point that I wanna highlight is, we are to follow Jesus's example. Look at the rest of the verse there. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life, and therefore, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. There's a progression. We, we don't follow Cain's example. We look at Jesus' example, and now we follow Jesus' example. You say, wait a minute. But Jesus died for me. 
Do you mean that the only way I can follow the example of Jesus is by dying for somebody else? Not necessarily. Jesus isn't looking for us to die for other people, but Jesus is looking for us to die to ourselves so that the life of God and the love of Christ can be lived out through us so we can serve other people. He's not looking for us to die for others. He's looking for us to live for others. To die to ourself is what sets us up and enables us and empowers us and frees us to love others. And then John, he gives us the example. He first said, hey, do as Jesus said. Yeah, how do I do that? And John will lay out very clearly in verse 17, here's what this looks like. Here's how you follow the example of Jesus. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not comfortable. I didn't write it, so I don't feel bad about it, but the reality of it is, what John will hold up as a standard of knowing whether we love the brethren is this standard that that he lays out here. Look, it says, verse 17, but if anyone has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Wow. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John will say, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in action. That's some hard words right there. What is, what is he saying here? I mean, how does this practically play out in our lives? Does that mean if we have this world's good, we need to give it all away as soon as we see? That wouldn't, obviously that's not what the scripture's calling us to do because it's just, there's more, more need than our ability to meet that, right? And so what ultimately is being said here, look again, he says, yet closes his heart against him. In other words, this person who's not even open to the spirit of God moving upon their heart, to meet that person's need. Oh, that's a little different now, isn't it? I think we we need to see the needs around us. We need to see the needs that are before us. And instead of just closing our hearts, like our hearts and say, oh, too bad for them, we need to take a moment of pause and saying, God, do you want me to meet that need? Do we hold what we have in open hands and saying, God, is this where, is this a need you want me to meet? That's what he's saying here. If you have this world's goods and see brothers in need and you close your heart against them, how is the love of God in you? Notice the connection between what we see here in John's writing and in the Genesis account. It's very interesting. There's just no, there's just no getting around this. So if that didn't make you feel comfortable, this will make you feel a little, a little bit more uncomfortable too. Check this out. What Cain did with his resources was a reflection of his heart. What Abel did with his resources was a reflection of his heart of righteousness. What Jesus did with his resources, his very life, was a reflection of his heart. And the question that is clearly implied next is, how does the handling of your resources reflect your heart? That's what John's getting to. If you see somebody in need, you you don't meet the need, you close your heart against them, how is the love of God in your heart? That's why we're taught to tithe in the Old Testament and to build on that tithe with generosity in the New Testament. Why? Because we don't want to give away our stuff. That's just the reality of it. 
Look again at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, actions speak louder than words. Please don't interpret this as a giving message this morning, but actually it kind of is a giving message this morning. It's not the giving and the taking of your resources, but it's the giving of your heart in a way that's consistent with the heart of God. Jesus taught that what's in our heart will be revealed by what we do with our resources, just like it was with Cain, just like it was with Abel, just like it was with Jesus, and just like it is with us. Jesus said our heart will be revealed by what we do with our resources. He says it in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've heard me say it many times. It's because the wallet bone is connected to the heart bone right? I mean, listen, that's, that's what drives us all the time, right? To get more stuff. That's why people steal. That's why people cut in front of other people. That's why people tear other people down. They want more stuff. They're driven by what they don't have. And what God is saying is, listen, your resources and what you do with it is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. What we see in this text is a, is a redirection of our focus off of what is seen because it's not about the resources. It's about the heart. It's a redirection of our focus off of what is seen and onto what is unseen, the heart. Because the reality is what is unseen in the heart will eventually be seen in our actions because actions speak louder than words. That being the case, John then calls us to examine our hearts. That's what we're called to. We are to examine, which is exactly what God did with Cain. He said to him, look, why are you so angry, Cain? It's not that God needed to know why. It wasn't like God saying, give me some information. He's calling him to a place of examination. Cain, why are you so angry? Cain, why is your face fallen? Right? He's calling him to go to a place of examination. And you know what? Maybe, just hypothetically, if I can not be guilty of adding to the scriptures, maybe if Cain would have took that advice from God and said, well, let me think about why am I so angry? Maybe that self-discovery would have realized and revealed to him the anger and the hatred and the, the pride and, the, and the, preju- the prejudice that was in his heart and everything that was there. But he didn't do that. I think it's a great thing for each and every one of us to remember as God's children as we're on this, this journey of sanctification. Has anybody ever acted a way that you kind of look back and go, oh, that was really stupid? Am I the only one? All right. It's too many times we, we try so hard just to get out of the situation and move on, hopefully nobody remembers it. But you know, the best thing we can do is to take a moment of pause and just say, why did I do that? Search my heart, oh God. Why did I do that? I've had to confess to my kids and my wife many a time, you know, the reason daddy did this is I was being driven by fear. I didn't realize that at the time, but as I got alone and started to process what was going on the inside. We don't do that. Especially men don't do that. Like, you just kind of, women do it so much better. But, but we, need to, we need to be willing to kind of, what's going on on the inside? 
Because it's in those moments that the, that the, the, it's the what is really secondary. And if we want to grow in our walk with Christ, if we want, to, we want to reflect the character of Christ, we need to take a moment and say, all right, the what was really bad, but why did I do that? What was I insecure about? What was I afraid of? What hurt from the past fed my actions in that moment? Right? That's our fourth point that John will point us to, that we are to examine our hearts. Look at verse 19. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What a powerful passage of scripture we see here in these, in these couple of verses. This section is all about what takes place in your heart. Sometimes, given our experiences, our insecurities, our hurts, our histories, our upbringing, our ignorance, the bad teaching, sometimes our hearts can condemn us, as he says here, right? Sometimes we walk in guilt and shame because of something we've done in the past. And even though we've repented of that, it seems to work itself back into our thinking, right? And we start to bring it back and we start to walk in guilt and shame and our hearts condemn us. Can anyone define themselves as their worst critic and judge? John's encouragement to you is that God, I love this, God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. In other words, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And he doesn't condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what? He loves you. He loves you. So for the one who walks in condemnation, John assures them of Christ's ability to save. God is greater than your heart. Thankfully, the final verdict doesn't rest with you. Listen, we need to be really careful that we don't let other people define us, and we need to be really careful that we don't define ourselves. We need to let the word of God define us. We need to let the work of Christ define us, and we need to move out as the new creations in Christ that we really are. Don't let your heart condemn you. That's the arena of condemnation that the enemy loves to keep his people in. Too many Christians, their walk gets stalled because they can't get past their guilt and the shame of the past. Listen, that's why Christ came to forgive you of that sin, to wash you clean. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Walk in the freedom that you have in Christ. Then he says, look, he says, then he, then he points to the one who doesn't condemn them, right? Whose heart doesn't condemn them. This is the one whose conscience before God is clean. Isn't that a great place? 
I mean, that, that's, that's the goal. That's where we ought to walk. We need to realize, listen, we're not perfect in and of ourselves, but I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm a child of God. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm God's own special people. Isn't that great? No more special than you, but we're his people. And what he says here is for the one whose heart doesn't condemn them. It's the remind. Let's remember why that is. A heart doesn't condemn us because the blood of Christ paid the price for our sins, and we've been brought into the family of God. And to this one, John reminds them, because of that, we have confidence before God, not arrogance. Here I am, God. No. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Like a child who busts into the office of his parents' house and says, I'm here. That's the picture. God loves when his people come to him. This is the benefit of obeying God and his commands. Again, our obedience to God's commands is not what secures that. Our obedience to God's commands is, 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 is the fruit of our acceptance of Christ's work on the cross. But our fifth point that John will point out is that very thing, we are to follow his commands. Follow his commands. As we, as so, we, so we examine our hearts, we're asking the Holy Spirit to show us the, the why behind the things that we do or don't do, and as we walk in obedience, we thus then walk in freedom. And notice the commandment that John ultimately calls us to obey, right? Look at it, it's right here in verse 23. Here's the commandment. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we are to love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Our first point was we don't follow Cain's example. The second point is we see Jesus' example. The third point is we follow Jesus' example. Number four, we examine our hearts. And now, number five, we follow his commands. Believe in the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, belief is so much more than, than intellectual assent. That's not what John is shooting for. It's so much more than just that, right? The Bible says that Satan even believes in James, right? So obviously there's a little bit more than just like believing it up here. It's applying it deep in our hearts in such a way that it affects the way we live our lives. It affects the way we see God, ourselves, and the world around us. It's belief in action. And that's what he's calling us to do, right? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and love one another. You see, here's the deal. If we apply the work of Christ to our life, if we see ourselves as God sees us, it'll cause us to see one another the way God wants us to see one another, and every other area of commandment would be fulfilled in those two things, loving God and loving others. And look what he says here. He says, Notice what, what, what keeping his commandment is akin to. Keeping his commandment is akin to abiding in God. Abiding in God. And as we're abiding in God, God is abiding in us, and by this we know that he abides in us. How? By the Holy Spirit that is within us. 
that continues to work in us and draw us closer to Jesus. That's the beautiful thing. When the Spirit of God is working on us and, and reminding us of these things and, 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 and putting his finger on errors in our life that are inconsistent with our new nature, what is going on at that moment? This, 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 that stirring feeling in your heart this morning in, in response to this message that may be coming up, this, this feeling of like, you know what? I need to repent of this, right? I need to adjust in this area. I really need to examine that area. What's going on there? It's the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life, and the reality of it is you would not be experiencing that unless you had the life of God in you. And so when that is happening, that's not a time to run from God. It's a time to run to God. Because it's a great reminder that, hey, I really am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? I mean, the fact that I'm feeling something on the inside that's contrary to a sinful nature suggests that I've got the life of God in me. And instead of letting my heart condemn me and walking in guilt and shame, I need to just give that over to Jesus and walk in the joy and the confidence and the assurance that I ought to as his child. Actions speak louder than words. I, I, I find this so encouraging when God puts his finger on something in my life. I don't like it at the moment. Anybody, I mean, let's get real here, right? Because that means like I've changed something and we don't like change. But it needs to remind me that God, he, he that began a good work in you, Paul, right to the church of Philippi, he that began a good work, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And when, when the Holy Spirit starts putting his finger on areas in our life, that's the, that's the evidence, that's the proof of the work of God in our lives. And you know what? As we surrender to that and we obey that, what ends up happening is he transforms us into the image of Christ. Don't run from that. Be encouraged by that. Don't drop your head down. Pick your head up and be reminded, man, I'm a, I'm a child of God. You see, Cain revealed himself as, as being from the evil one because when God approached him, he ran in the other direction. And you see, the, the, the God, God's people will, will be revealed by how we respond to what God says. How we keep his commands will demonstrate whether we have been saved to the beginning, to the first place. Actions speak louder than words. They are the activity of our hearts on full display. And John points us to the activity of our hearts as the assurance of knowing that we have eternal life. These things were written that you might know this is just another metric that he lays out there. So we find great encouragement in the work of the Spirit in our lives because it proves that we are his. Don't let your heart condemn you or disqualify you. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't walk in guilt and shame. It's not necessary. Our desire and our ability to please God, obey his, and obey God's commands, and follow the example of Jesus is the proof of the life of God within us. And that all causes us to lift our heads up and walk out as the new creation. Perfect? No. 
but looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And every day, taking a step closer to being like the one who's the very lover of my soul. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it inspires us to passionately follow Jesus. It causes us to run from religion and embrace you, the lover of our souls. Thank you for your commitment to our sanctification. Father, I pray that we'd we'd hear these truths and we would apply them to our lives, that we would would examine our hearts for the one who's who's living in guilt and shame from the past. And I pray that that they would feel and sense the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, if there's somebody here that has not placed their trust in you, that they're looking to anything other than you as as the security blanket of their eternal life, I pray this morning that they would know the love of God for their souls, that they would turn from their sins and turn to you, our Messiah. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you'd give us the grace necessary to apply it to our lives. We thank you for your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.